The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 143. I'm Matt Hott, a school-based SLP and also an SLP working in home care with dementia and stroke rehab. Joined as always by Michelle Wintering, an early educator, an early intervention speech and language pathologist. Hi, Matt. Usually you say pediatric SLP. Do I? I was trying okay, to figure good. out why I was so clunky on that introduction. That's all right. <laughs> Our third wheel of the tricycle is not here this week. Mike McLeod, he is out. So we are joined by our special co-guest hosts uh, this week, Ruchi Capilla. She is an SLP and a vocologist providing gender-affirming voice services in, in their private practice, Capilla Voice and Speech Services, and is also the co-creator and co-host of the Hindsight Project podcast, Ruchi. Hello. Hi, it's so good to see you, Matt and Michelle. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for joining us on literally 30 minutes notice of, <laughs> of everyone that follows the show. Mike, know, we all know Mike's got a new baby. So of course that means time frames go away. Mike sends a note at 8.45 and I sent a note to Ruchi at 8.46 and said, what you up to in 30 minutes? And as a result, I prematurely <laughs> I prematurely promised to Matt that I won't have children for the next five years. So. <laughs> prematurely promised. All right. Prematurely promised. Hey man, I'm not saying, but I am saying that since the show has been on the air, five children have been born to three co-hosts. Just saying. I mean, I mean, I was pregnant when I started hosting with you, Matt. So that was a head start, <laughs> at least. <laughs> but the show was on air when the pregnancy this started. I'm just saying. So I've had two. <laughs> there you go. I've did had any two of these? Did they coincide with pandemic? Um, no. Very well. Mine was born in December. My second. Yeah, okay. yours is a pandemic baby. Technically, I guess. Congrats, Michelle. Yeah. Thank you. We were pregnant a month before the pandemic started so no yeah ruchi ruchi doesn't know that all three of the hosts here have had baby girls in <laughs> yeah. a oh, yeah. very short time span <laughs> yeah. you have a built-in support group and it, yeah, it's the, true. the venn diagram of podcaster <laughs> slp and like you know assigned female at birth child is like perfect yes so, it's yeah, true nice. and and it's um, a first child for mike a second child for me and a third child for matt yeah it's all old hat at this point Right. I know oh, where I'm going man. for advice. So, <laughs> on today's show, we are not talking about birth. We are talking about uh, how do we handle the trauma of students and our uh, private practice uh, patients returning to in person therapy after so long of doing digital. We're also going to talk about a new study looking at dry mouth dysphagia and Parkinson's. We've also got our SS pod due process and the SS pod shout out and the ASHA spotlight. But first we always want to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can give us a phone call 614-681-1798. You can email us at speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or check out our discord at discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Michelle, what has been going on with you this week that is, uh, you can either go therapy related or you can stay out of the therapy realm. What has been going on? It is hot. It is hot here. <laughs> no, um, it's actually um, been really good. We've been able to get outside more and enjoy some water and sunshine and um, prepping for our move to Texas. So I'm trying to purge, get rid of things, make the move easier. <laughs> How many weeks till the, till the move? About a month. Okay, you got time. 
burn everything yep. just get rid of it uh, pretty much that's how i feel every time we move the other thing you haven't mentioned yet matt which i know is podcast related and speech related was that we had we are up to a hundred thousand downloads on uh, so i wasn't going to mention that on air because i'm an idiot why okay so uh okay now that you bring that up all right so podbean just gave out awards and i thought we were at a hundred thousand and we're actually at like 191 evidently we did that hundred like a while ago and i just wasn't going to make a big deal out of it anymore because i'm a complete moron when it comes to looking at anything on our podcast well we're <laughs> almost at two hundred thousand. then we are nearing two hundred thousand downloads so download this episode <laughs> <laughs> however uh i do have stats about where we are and i was trying to get them in discord and our number one country of download is the U.S., but number two is what up to our Australia folks, and then Canada, uh, U.K., New Zealand, and India. So. I, w- I would have been surprised if it wasn't the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> We're the number one show in Canada. That would oh be gosh. that'd be great. Well, now that you've seen that Matt has no idea what's going on in his show, let's go to a podcaster that knows what they're doing. Ruchi, how have you been? What's up with the Hindsight Project? What's going on in the past week for you? Oh, okay. Well, Hindsight Project um, should be get ramp- like ramping up to record new episodes soon during the summer. I have a couple of um, really exciting hosts and and as well as guests to have on and, and uh, share their stories. Um, the other big p- thing that came up for me uh, last week was on Saturday, I presented at the Northwest Art and Science of the Performing Voice Conference. Ooh. So that was under Dr. Kari Reagan. Uh, special thanks to Martin Abdal as well. And so I presented on working with transmasculine singers. Uh, I also announced Capella Voice and Speech, my new practice. I saw and that. Michelle, speaking of Texas, I'm going to be flying out to see my partner next Wednesday to see my partner Blake in Texas for the first time in over a year. Oh, um, that's wonderful. So I'm glad we'll see a, each other. Yeah, thank you so much. In so. person. I know we have this <laughs> awesome technology and we can see faces. But yeah, I mean, definitely kept everything going, kept everything continuous, but it's, yeah, it's it's time to, uh, it's time to see each other again. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So you did a presentation on trans mask. What was it? On working with transmasculine singers. And, and so for the scope, it was particularly people who've taken testosterone oh, okay. um, and some considerations about that. But, you know, transmasculine singers are, are under a much broader umbrella. Some people take testosterone or tea and some don't. Um, a lot of people ex- explore um, gender identity and, and how they want to work with their voice in myriad ways. So it's a very complicated topic, but... I tried to cut it down to something that fits in 24 minutes for a breakout session. There you go. And it was mostly successful. That's perfect. And I'm, I'm, I'm building my relationship again with PowerPoint. So things are good. Things See, are good. Any of y'all folks that work with singers I, and do like that or the melodic intonation, like I give you all credit because I, even though I was in a music fraternity, cannot carry a tune in a bucket. And I've had <laughs> a couple home care patients that are like stroke rehab that were like, I need to get back to singing lead. And I'm like, yeah, so let's, I'm going to do an E sound and please don't be mad at me when I am super flat. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, I still have space in my studio if you ever want. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know what? I will, I'll call you and uh, I'll let my people call your people. How's that? No, that's awesome though. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank and you. congrats on the, um, you said yeah. launching your private practice. Launching right? a private yeah. Practice. Yeah. It's, it's a wild week, but you caught me at the right time. Always good to catch you when you're promoting something. That's how yeah, we get you for on sure. here. Uh, for <laughs> me, I have been not nearly as exciting as any of y'all. Um, I went camping with my boys this weekend and oh, I love your camping stories. Oh Please tell me there's more. <laughs> so uh, my kids learned what a cow sounds like at two in the morning and what geese sound like at three in the morning because we're all cramped in a little two-man tent. There's three of us because one's four and one's eight and I'm 35 so we can fit. And my four-year-old wakes me up and he's like, Dad, or my eight-year-old wakes me up. He's like, daddy, 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 daddy. And I'm like, what it's like two in the morning i think he has to go potty so i'm getting ready to go traipse across the field and he's like what's that sound and it's like frogs and cows and geese and i was like oh man i have failed as a parent 
that my kids can't identify animal sounds. And I failed as an SLP that we have never done animal sounds with my kids. But no, uh, it was good. I had to teach my kids that it's okay to say no. And then I had to teach another kid to respect another kid when they tell them no about borrowing something. So that was a weird, I'm back to work. And I didn't want to work this weekend while camping. So that was fun. You taught I, consent over the weekend, Matt. I, so yes. I legit, like it was something that I pulled out of a training where like, so that my sons had the little finger lights, the lights you put on your fingers and they look kind of cool. And another kid kept going to my four-year-old asking for them. And my four-year-old was like all hunched over. He's like, no. And I went to the kid. And I was like, listen, if someone tells you no, you have to respect that and leave them alone. And then their kid was like, okay, whatever. And then walked away and I was like, I might've changed the life <laughs> or not. I don't know yet, but hey, some third grader learned. <laughs> but that's about it. And therapy wise, I got one more week of school left and then it's just home care all summer week. So do you pick up more hours with home care in the summer? Or are you going to kind of- I, I used to, but now I feel anything. like- I'm just going to keep my normal caseload. And then as it ebbs and flows, I'll just add and drop and cover vacations. So yeah. that's about it. So moving on with a terrible transition to people doing something awesome. That is the SS pod shout out. If you know somebody that is doing something awesome in the field of speech and language therapy or related, that's where you can head us up on the discord or on the Twitter's hashtag SS pod this week. It is a shout out to a member of our Discord. It is Marissa Double M. Uh, she actually graduated and passed her praxis, so she is no longer one of our grad school listeners. Uh, she is a CF position at a preschool. So congratulations, Miss Marissa, and also all of our other uh, grads out there, because it is that time of year. Do you all remember when you guys passed that praxis? Because I do, and I had a lot of crew to chat questions on my praxis and I guessed. Mm, I was so relieved to have that behind me. Yep. I, I think I did mine maybe six months before I was going to graduate. I did it way before mm -hmm. comps. We, I, we did it early too. You can yeah. do it that way? We did it early, Matt. See, yeah. I was already in the schools when I did my praxis. Exactly. So you still did it before grad school graduation though, like the year before. I know this is podcast and radio, so I'm like yep. thinking, no, because I had worked a year. Oh, yeah. Well, what? I was a weird student. So, yeah. Yep. Maybe. Yeah. We'll, we'll check it under that, right? right? Right. Okay. So, there we go. Marissa and the other grads, congratulations. The SS Pod shout out. On the flip side, if something is bothering you and you need to take it to the court of public opinion, that is the SS Pod due process. So, given to us the tribunal this week is a anonymous write-in uh, talking about what do we think if they have to wear a identification on their work badge of their vaccine status. When you say an identification, what do you so mean? So something like to let the patient know uh, if their therapist is vaccinated or not vaccinated. And I've, my, oh, sorry. Sorry. I guess my, my quick reaction is, are we allowed to do that? But then my secondary reaction is I've heard of people doing that for the flu shot already. Mm. My knee-jerk reaction to this is as a parent and as a like person who had COVID in December, I want to mm. know if like the person I'm working with or working that's going to be working with me or my family has been vaccinated. I want to know that. So if it's a little sticker on the badge or a little ID, I'm okay with that. And I guess I would be okay with it as well as a therapist having to wear that. I yeah, think it's, I know. Sorry, it's go ahead, go ahead Michelle. No, I, I think it's totally normal in terms of all of the other things, like whether you're fitted for an N95, all of these other um, considerations in, a, in an inpatient hospital setting are automatically added to badges. So even if it's not enforced in terms of like, government recommendations, it's definitely going to be enforced in terms of like individual hospital and healthcare um, settings, I would think. What do you think, Michelle? My, so my first thought, anytime something, you know, medical or health record related is, wait, are we allowed to, is that allowed to happen? Right. <laughs> but 
I also, then I pause and think, okay, wait, but my employer mm-hmm. asks me to get a tetanus and asks me to get a flu shot each year and has me get, and I have to get all these things and show them record of it before I can work there. So this seems to fall in line with that. Um, I'm not used to it being something you wear on a badge. I haven't personally experienced that. I had a friend who said when they got their flu shot, they had a sticker on their badge that showed they had already received that year's flu shot. We didn't. That was just something we submitted to HR and it was taken care of. I had to wear a sticker that said I didn't have a flu shot, even though I did, but I didn't get it from the nursing home I was PRNing in. So they didn't didn't have record. I worked there like once every six months. So I didn't bring my like records with me every time I would Mm -hmm. go. And if I worked there during flu season, it would be a little sticker that says, I don't have a flu shot. And it was like, Oh, I do, but whatever. And like none of my patients really cared, but. Mm-hmm. From a patient side, I could see though with a COVID shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would probably be well within a patient's rights to ask for someone who has been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would that work? How would you guys handle it? If they came to you and said, I see you've been vaccinated. Uh, I want to work with somebody that's not been vaccinated. <laughs> Take this referral. Get off my case. Really, would you? Yeah, it's easy. To go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, let's let's have some patient and client-centered care. Let's get you your non-vaccinated provider. Have you seen? ASAP. Not to go in down the the rabbit hole of vaccines versus not vaccines, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like uh, I was reading a Vice article last week, and now the anti-vaxxers are wearing masks because they're afraid that those of us that have been vaccinated are shedding the virus while breathing. I, I, have, <laughs> I have not seen that. That's wild. I bet I had somebody post on my wall recently on social media about like a vegan restaurant they were going to that was like not allowing people who are vaccinated to come in because it was apparently messing with people's menstrual cycles because that's huh. another thing that's been reported huh. following vaccination that people have had changes in their cycle in terms of length and timing, which is, you know, gonna, stuff happens. Weird. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that that makes sense to me that it would impact that because any medical or stressful to the person that got the vaccine, though, right? Not because I was sitting next to them with my vaccinated body. Right, to the right. person yes. who received the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm but sorry, you said for they were asking for confirmation. I couldn't. <laughs> no, because she said you said the restaurant wouldn't let people in that had the vaccine, right? Right. Yeah. Because they thought those people would who were upset. vaccinated had cycle cycle differences, and we're going to impact the cycle differences oh, of people inside, okay. which is like... like, which is a lot of personal information that nobody <laughs> wow. has to get into. I'm yeah. like, I was like, do you want to provide proof that that happened? Should we do like a small cohort oh study, goodness. like evidence based practice <laughs> at the vegan restaurant about cycle changing due to vaccines? I am so far outside of my scope of practice at this point that. None of those except vaccine apply to me. <laughs> uh, you are married to a woman, so like, <laughs> that doesn't make me an expert. A lot of at people all. will hang their hat on that. That's true. <laughs> My so wife is also enough. a biology major, but that doesn't mean I understand animals. I I realize that, but you uh, you, you should have a baseline understanding that. <laughs> I have three kids. I don't understand it. Well, or you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question though about yeah. like this requirement of um, like an identification. Or advertise, yeah, yeah, identifying yourself as having a vaccine, even if they made this up to the employee that they have to give um, that basically they have the right to refuse mm-hmm. or or um, accept um, sharing their status on their badge. You're gonna probably have a pretty accurate number anyway because anybody who's right. vaccinated is gonna want to let you know. Right. I saw it the other day. It was like a vaccine is like CrossFit. All you have to do is wait 30 seconds and someone will tell you that they got it done. Uh, Ruchi is like waving off the yeah, mic can't. right now. I wish, no, because Matt's going to be like, turn the mic down. No, no, you're <laughs> but yeah, no, I, yeah, you're right though. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, so this is my process or my thought process. We work with patients. We work with uh, folks that are vulnerable. We work with folks at their lowest. Sometimes we need to be as transparent to them as possible. So I, I feel like badge identification or religion, whatever the patient needs to know that we're buying into what they believe in. I, I feel like we owe it to them 
so that they have faith in us. And and like the reason I said the religion thing for a second was I had a patient ask me, she was like, are, I don't care what religion are you, but are you religious? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, okay, then I can work with you. And I was like, all right. And if I would have said no, probably would have had to transfer you to the other SLP. But I don't know. I feel like our patients deserve to know what they need to, to succeed because, you know, they need to know that we're buying into why they're trying to improve or repair or rehab or, or whatnot. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Sorry to take it from, from fun and whatever to more sober and serious. So my bad but, guys. No, I mean, I think <laughs> there is a, a baseline connection that people are going to look for in someone that they're establishing a, um, you know, a therapist patient relationship right. with. And if that is one thing that's going to make them more or less comfortable with a the therapist, then I would encourage them to find someone who meets whatever they're desired. And I hate to say it, but if I found out my nurse was anti-vax, I don't know if I'd want them working with my kids. And, and that's, I mean, I think like, that's what we have to remember is that it's the patient's choice. Yeah. I probably we probably lost some of our listeners at this point. That's no. okay. <laughs> all eight. But then, but if you're also dealing with somebody, I mean, but if you're dealing with somebody who's a nurse versus a, a home health practitioner, like there's a different kind of that's um, true impact of you know volume of patients that you're seeing and good call good whether call. one needs to get vaccinated more than the other. I mean, I have my own perspectives about you know yeah how I feel about vaccination, but you know, and 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 that every healthcare prov provider should be, but you know yeah what, what was it um the the thing that always gets me is that baby with all the needles in it and they're like this is how many vaccines have you seen that it's like a parent thing maybe where they'll be like this is why you should vaccinate your baby and it's like a baby full of needles and they're like this oh, is how the many shots doll, they get right? in five years and it's like well yeah that would be terrifying if i got all those shots at the same time but like <laughs> <laughs> like it's spread out. You're okay. And some of but them also are if one you can needle. get it all over with and not remember, that's also totally fine with me. Yeah. Cause I found out <laughs> the other day that the $200 lightsaber I built with my eight-year-old when he was six, he doesn't remember. So that was fun. Yeah. Anywho, if you've got something you want to bring, this is another one where we you did a due process him pictures and stuff and like I, help him. I, thank you. Okay. Early intervention. <laughs> like it's, Oh my gosh. All right. Now, if this is the second due process where we've all been kind of the agreeing on the idea. So if you've got a due process, something you want to bring to the court of public approval, hit us up. It is hashtag SS pod due process. And you can do that over on our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, phone call or text 614-681-1798 or the discord. All right, y'all. Let's hit to the news articles. This first one is coming out of the New Orleans City Business uh, by author Aqua Stovall, who is the founder and executive director of Special Education Leader Fellowship, a nonprofit organization supporting school leaders and teachers to create authentic student support programming. Uh, her article talks about how we need to be prepared to address not just the needs of our students that are returning into the school, but also the trauma and the special needs of our students returning to a building for the first time. And she goes on to talk about uh, not just being in the building for the first time in a year from COVID, but also the race-related health inequalities associated with the pandemic and also being around other people for the first time in a year. And I figured this would be a great jumping off point that we can talk about it, not just for our students, but for our patients in private practice and home care and home care and people finally going back to outpatient therapy, I know I'm barely able to handle normal trauma of stroke and dementia rehab and IEP rehab or uh, trauma. This is adding a whole new level that I know this summer I'm going to be spending a lot of time researching on just how to handle handle that i feel like th this is kind of twofold we talk about our kids returning to school with this trauma related experience mm -hmm. and um 
I think in order to address that, we have to also kind of address our own mm. trauma and our own experience with the past year and a half, year, year and a half that we're going on of everything in our world being shifted. Um, some things completely upended, some things just slightly different and, um, and kind of, have you guys heard of the whole locus of control thing? But that's one thing that I've talked about with kids before. And I got it from our school psychologist when I worked in the school was just talking about what are things that are within our control and what are things that are outside of that. And you can even draw it out, um, with young kids and, um, by no means is it an answer, but it kind of gives mm -hmm. a visual to say, hey, these are things that I can control. These are things I can't. And um, what's going to help me with coping strategies for the things I can't? I like that idea. It's kind of like grabbing the oxygen for yourself before helping the kids on the, on the airplane. Yeah. yeah. How do you handle this on the private practice side, Richie? Um, well, everything I do is via tele and I try to normalize that people can, you know, take breaks, talk about what they need. I've been a little bit more flexible on rescheduling in my practice, um, because of the things that can come up that can be traumatic for folks. Um, I do want to like give a shout out to everybody who's like going back to hybrid or in person in schools, as well as people who've been working, you know, um, as, healthcare workers throughout the year that it, it, it is, um, there is a pressure from employers oftentimes to like give the face of normalcy in these situations. And then that's just not the authentic thing that's happening. Um, and I think, you know, as somebody who has not worked um, in schools in a long time, so with, with that, um, with humility, I would say that talking about how everybody's figuring out and restructuring in their lives and figuring out how to socialize again and feeling safe about mm -hmm. that. And, um, you know, for me, it's like, it's hard to attend in a meeting now. It's hard for me to go yes. in a group of people and not feel somewhat isolated, even if I like everyone who's present, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Sorry. if that's, I think that's also a remnant from before Matt that I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't fair. actually investigate. Um, but like, I think, I think if anything, COVID has, has brought, to light very true aspects of my personality, um, which, you know, sometimes leads me to be a little bit of a misanthrope, a little <laughs> bit of a curmudgeon. I'm trying to accept that. Um, I think I'm cute enough to get away with it, but at, at the same time, you know, um, when, yeah, when I, especially when working with kids, I think when they know that they're not the only person dealing with, um, adapting and that there's something universal about this piece and normal about this piece, then mm -hmm. it kind of takes that little level, level of pressure off or that buffer off a little bit. So I, I worry, I don't want to say I worry. I'm concerned for some of my students who have, or not just my students, the students in general who have picked up certain behaviors or have done kind of like what you said, inability to sustain attention during a meeting. And they're going to be forced back into schools. They're going to, well, I'm not forced back, but they're going to go back to schools. And the teachers that have been in person are going to expect some of that same attention ability that their peers have because they were in school for a year. Because where I'm at, um, the kids had options to either stay home and do, do telethere or tele school or go in person. My son's one of the ones that did uh, did or virtual school. And I know that his attention span of doing schoolwork here was 20 minutes of schoolwork, 10 minutes of play, 20 minutes of schoolwork, 10 minutes of play. He's not going to do that at school. And I have, I'm already prepared for the phone call of, hey, your son was acting up after 45 minutes in the building. And he is technically neurotypical, you know, thriving little going to be second grader. I, you know, I can't imagine you add in a little ADHD or a little autism or a little cognitive deficits or a little language delay or anything. Yeah. We, yeah. You know what? I like both of what you all said. Like, we have to identify what we're bringing baggage into to, to it as well. Mm -hmm. 
Matt, I do have a question and, and to yeah. Michelle too. Um, in your settings, do you have an opportunity to have these like interdisciplinary conversations about the shift with like school psych, with social work, with um, any OTs or PTs who are contracting with your, with your school or with your agency? So I'm not saying this because I work there currently, but I moved to my school district last year and it was probably one of the best moves I've ever done. We have an interdisciplinary team meeting every two weeks uh, where PT, OT, myself, the psych, the special ed supervisor, the principal, and then the social worker, if, she, if they're available, uh, all meet and discuss the needs of the students. And we discuss, uh, this hasn't come up yet, but I can see that it being a topic for discussion coming back in the fall. So I'm lucky that that is something that I have in my school district, but the previous two school districts I worked at, it was a monthly meeting uh, with all the SLPs, all the PTs, all the OTs in the district kind of being told what was happening while we all sat in the amphitheater while the person in charge walked back and forth telling us what was needed to be done. So I know not all buildings are like the one I'm in. And um, for me, I'm not currently working with my little tiny one at home, but um, was fortunate in the last couple settings I was in to have an interdisciplinary team. Uh, but I, I feel like it's shifting so much. And I kind of want to know from you, Ruchi, what your thoughts are on that, because you're doing the private practice and you said primarily teletherapy. And mm -hmm. so many of our kids have been receiving services, including the clinic I used to work for. Um, has been doing teletherapy services over the last year. Um, and even when I went back, um, so I was off for 12 weeks and then went back to employment, uh, seeing kids in a clinic setting with the pandemic. Uh, so last summer started seeing kids again that it was suddenly um, a visual difference too, right? So suddenly I'm in a gown uh -huh. and a shield and a mask instead of I can, they run up and give me a hug right away. And now I'm across the room waving at them. Like it's really still Miss Michelle. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and, you know, take off the mask when they're outside the window from me so that they could see it was me. Um, so I think there's this shift that has had to happen Good point. and that kids have, especially young kids, you take a five-year-old, a year is a fifth of their life. So that has been their reality, right? When yeah. you have those young kids and that's, a, I mean, we take it as kind of a sad thing, but it's also, I think, a strength, their adaptability um, with these changes that if they're with support going to be able to adapt again, right back into what that new norm is for the school. And just like any school year, because I know you're in a school, Matt, Mm -hmm. um, my thought would be we have to we have to adjust things every year. This this adjustment might be a little weirder, but um, a little more uncomfortable. But we're gonna have new kids coming into school. We might have kids who were homeschooled or kids who were at a public school and now they're at a private school. I, you, there's a lot of shifts that happen when you start a new school year. So my thought is just giving ourselves a little grace and allowing our students some time to adjust is the most important thing. Yeah, and, and flexibility of um, on lines and um, considerations for the classroom as well as much as, as possible, you know? And I, I, I try to hold back from making those kinds of recommendations because there's so much on the shoulders of our educators and there's so much on the shoulders of our school-based SLPs and True. everybody else who's on the IEP team. Um, but, you know, if we start making considerations about um, making the classroom even more inclusive and adaptive, like globally, as we would for a lot of the populations that we work with, mm -hmm. um, with ADHD considerations, with autistic students, um, and any other neurodivergent considerations, that might be really helpful in the interim. So, I have a question for you, Ruchi, that feel free to not answer if it's too much into HIPAA. Um, and I know that you did a lot of the gender affirming voice work. Do you find that patients were more open to trial new things or to identify deficits teletherapy wise working on uh, their voice work? I found that my adult patients with stroke and rehab were actually less likely when I tried to do some teletherapy with them because I don't know if it was like the barrier 
but I was trying to, mm -hmm. I didn't know how that worked with, with what you did. Um, so with the clients that I work with, um, mm -hmm. and some of them are voice students and I provide singing and speech voice services. A lot of these people are motivated to check in and make changes. Okay. Certainly, um, there are some advantages in that, like when I'm modeling something, the client has to take the onus and responsibility of being able to reproduce it on their side, which means that their likelihood of having some carryover might be better Fair than enough. if I was there and asking for, you know, um, permission to, you know, do any myofascial release kinds of things or alignment kinds of things in terms of voicing. Um, you know, you can obviously um, take, you know, take recordings from a client or a client can send it to you through a HIPAA compliance server and you can do analysis of the recordings as well for, for, for basic pieces. So there's a lot that can be done. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, because uh, most of my voice work has been, um, has occurred like post pandemic start. I don't Fair have enough. anything to compare to <laughs> in terms of voice work because I was working full time and um, acute care and, and some acute rehab um, placements um, for much of my early career. So yeah, I, I will say that when I, um, I was also employed for, um, I, I won't name the company, even though they're great. I, I worked for a teletherapy company where I was providing comp services specifically with autistic students in high school. And all of them were using like um, AAC modalities or um, alternative communication modalities. That was hard. And if I had not had somebody who was a, um, like a para or a, an with assistant, them, yeah. yeah, there would have been no way for me to do anything useful, but it was still really challenging. Cause I know that they would have benefited a lot from just having a person directly there having um, tactile cueing and some environmental supports and, and controls to, to support their success. So, yeah, I was just wondering about voice because I feel like with voice patients are usually a little bit more open to trialing new things to get their voice to where they want it to, where oh, yeah. my experience with like stroke and dementia, sometimes they just don't know their deficit. So they're unwilling to right, try. Right. And, yeah. I mean, in my case, the cool thing about Zoom is you can turn off your camera. People can <laughs> take true. breaks. They can like, sh they can disengage if they, you know, emotionally need to, if there's an issue in terms of anxiety. Um, but other, <laughs> and you, what you just did to me, right, really just awesome. out for a moment. <laughs> and I was like, where'd you go, Matt? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's, it, I think it's just a highly different modality. Would I like to That's eventually fair. work with people in person? Um Yes, I think there's there's always going to be advantages to that, but I also like that it it kind of pushes um, a client to start to become their own clinician because of that little bit of that little bit of barrier. So, and I mean that like that is our ultimate goal, right? Is to work yeah. ourselves out of a job with a patient. We don't want them to need yes. us forever. Yes, my favorite <laughs> phrase, absolutely. Oh, uh, we want to hear from you. What do you think at home? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or phone call text 614-681-1798. We got a voicemail this week and I was super excited. And then it was like legit just a warranty on our car. No, so, a fake um, warranty call. It's like, no. I was so excited to have one to play on air this week, but you could be that phone call. Let us know what you think, what you're going to do for your patients or your students. Switching gears from trauma induced or trauma based therapy or trauma, uh, what is it called? Trauma. What was the word I was trying to find? Trauma sure, informed <laughs> lens. Care. That's there the word I was looking okay. for. Guys, I'm not kidding that since COVID, my brain fog is terrible is and I have aphasia every day. So yeah. just saying, transferring anyway, going from that to this, uh, a new study, this one's coming out of Parkinson, Parkinson's News today. And it was a study originally linked. Oh, where's this one from? It was the impact of progression of Parkinson's disease on swallowing ability in oral environment. Uh, they looked at the impact of how much does a patient identify how well are they swallowing with late stage Parkinson's? And I know I've got some patients that I've worked with in the past with Parkinson's. Michelle and Ruchi, do you guys have it or do y'all have any uh, history with working with Parkinson's patients? 
Um, by ne- it's been my primary by any means, but uh, working in outpatient therapy and in acute care, yes, I had some patients with Parkinson's. Um, I too have had some patients yeah. with Parkinson's. I, I mean, and I did LSVT lab training as a graduate uh, student. Somebody recently, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Teresa Yao. Thank you for helping me with this, but I completed my speak out training during this ooh, time as ooh, well. Nice. So, yeah. So it's just like, you know, I, I'm I know up bits for... and pieces. So I would love to do that full training at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've done a fair amount of dysphagia assessment and management in those settings. And so we do, we do tend to get folks with uh, Parkinson's as well. So the study looked, and I'm going to cheat and go right to the conclusions. Uh, it's linked in the article that we'll have linked below. But it says the results indicate low self-awareness of dysphagia among patients with Parkinson's. Uh, they also note that screening for dry mouth or... How did you say that, Ruchi? Zero- Xerostomia? Yeah, I write this stuff down. I never say it out loud. Dry mouth and oral care and moisture are recommended for patients with PD, with dysphagia, and receive high doses of lev- levodopa. I, Is that a common medication, I'm guessing, for- I was reading yeah. about it. It's a replacement for dopamine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I- I've always screened my patients for park for with Parkinson's for dysphagia, but I think it makes sense that our, a lot of our patients that with advanced Parkinson's don't realize their eating habits have changed so much. Well, and I'm probably sweeping like way too broad a scope with this, but um, I think it's pretty common because dysphagia is something that progresses often slowly, unless you've had a trauma or some um, clear cut mm-hmm. change that as as people age or as a disease progresses like parkinson's they may not notice we may not notice we as professionals might but you know we as individuals might not notice those changes in our you know our eating and swallowing absolutely and I, I think the bigger impact too is like how much carryover is there? Are there caregivers and other family members mm-hmm. in the picture kind of maintaining a structure around um, what oral care looks like, making sure they're managing their xerostomia. Um, oral care, oral care, oral care. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, as much as you can push on that. And then, you know, are, you know, they talked a little bit about in this article about how primary care physicians don't have access to video fluoroscopy and endoscopy. <laughs> and like, yeah, you shouldn't. Because you're supposed to refer. I was gonna say somewhere, <laughs> somewhere the swallow your pride, Teresa Richards, Vince Clark are rolling over, screaming, yeah, and get exactly. your mobile fees I, through. I was like, write the script though. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like I, that, that that's what you do. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I think you know, remembering that all of these um, patients have to ma- be managed individually. There are so many considerations in terms of mm-hmm. comorbidities to take into consideration, which I don't. I, I briefly looked at this article and I don't know how much has been explored in terms of how they just de- de- they determined the cohort that they were doing the study on. Mm-hmm. Um, but their data is available upon request. Okay. <laughs> you request that from me, Matt, and then you share it to me in the group chat. Okay. But, but, um, but, but all of those consider- considerations have to be taken into account. Um, how happy is the client? How much can, how much can they participate independently, how much agency do they have in terms of making um, food choices and requests and, um, you know, just supporting them and being able to maintain, you know, of course, least restrictive diet is um, great. But I I feel like they they talked a little bit about scores here, but they didn't necessarily talk about um, outcomes with regard to actual instrumental like swallow evaluation, which I think is interesting. So, the only thing that I could find, it said that 29.5% of the participants were defined as dysphagic. However, mm-hmm. most were still on normal or only slightly adjusted diets. Um, and they say that the results indicate low self-awareness of dysphagia. But part of me also questions that like, I've worked with Parkinson's patients before where I've said, hey, your, your swallow study and my clinical opinion think that you should be on Mexsoft or lower food and they're like yep and they're eating their mcdonald's cheeseburger and saying i know what you're saying but this is my quality of life and i don't know if that is a like an indication that they don't have self-awareness does that make sense 
I mean, it, I, it I would tell you the same the thing, Matt, yeah. tomorrow. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, yep. like, I, I think it depends on the person and it yep. depends on the patient and it depends on the team and what's, you know, what the medical needs are. And like you said, that's their quality of life. And, and okay, but I guess what, what mitigating factors can you teach them? What oral care, what, what supports can you put in place to minimize? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when I look at a impact. Exactly. And when I look at a study like this, this, this speaks to me more about you need to telegraph for a patient where things can mm-hmm. go and what they can do now and what caregivers can do now to, you know, have these mitigating factors present. Right. Um, and also anticipate if they're going to be changes as, as things advance. And if they're participating in, in therapies that have um, high levels of social communications and, and we have uh, an intervention like LSVT loud or speak mm-hmm. out. And, and I know we'll talk about whether there are studies to support certain interventions, but that's for another day. But if you're, you're, if you're having something that is impacting both um, volume and, and um, use from an exercise physiology standpoint of the of the mechanism as a whole how is that impacting swallowing there are a lot of questions in that that raise they're raised about swallow function in those settings so i think it's interesting and and the takeaway that i'm going to take from this is that with my uh parkinson's patients i'm going to have to pay attention more to what kind of medication they're on and besides just what does my system say is a uh, uh, what do they call it? A fatal, no, a serious interaction between two medications. Basically my, we use a system called NDOC. We put in all the medication and it warns us about any adverse crossing of the medications. But what I'm going to pull from this also is I'm going to start looking at some of the medication and see if it's a higher dopamine type medication for some of my Parkinson's patients and then do more education if there is about the importance of oral care. I mean, I already do, but at least from this, it looks like higher dopamine means drier mouth. Drier mouth means more bacteria. More bacteria means pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, from a just surface level perspective of this article too, you made me think of this, Matt. Mm-hmm. It's from Parkinson's News Today, right? And the heading is, at least I had this reaction, and I think uh, Ruchi said the same thing of, this doesn't surprise me. As a speech language right. pathologist, this doesn't surprise me. Study ties swallowing abilities to disease progression. And I'm like, well, of course. <laughs> um, but it makes me wonder if even people with Parkinson's or maybe other diseases or diagnoses don't realize that that is directly tied with the progression of their disease. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I had a patient before tell me when I when we made a diet change that they were never told that they would be swallowing problems with Parkinson's. Right. So it makes me think, what do we need to do? Which I know we're always putting more on our, ourselves and SLPs. What else do we need to do? But each therapist um, changing the world, <laughs> but yeah, one, one patient at a time, right? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, get it on the list of the PCP who can't, who doesn't have access <laughs> to the video fluoroscopic study or to the, or to the fees um, system. Tell them that you should, you should add that bullet point to your list. We exactly. have... It doesn't have access to it. Like what is, like you said, a referral right. and then you can read it. You can look at the results of that. What do you mean? But, don't have yeah, exactly. And all PCPs and all neuros should be including this and in expected um, symptomology True. or considerations. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have a pretty nice unit up near where i'm doing home care it is a mobile modified barium swallow unit so it's not a mobile fees but i like it they show up in one of the the big old style vans they come and they have a hoyer lift on the van if needed they come in get the patient patient can go out to their driveway or the parking lot of the nursing home get it done. And then they email the most beautiful 10 page report about swallowing that I've ever received. They send you a digital copy uh, and a CD of the video. And they'll actually also follow it all the way down uh, till it empties into the stomach. Oh, and so it, they'll, they'll do a esophageal sweep too. Uh-huh. 
Wow. I and have flames on my awesome. face right now, Matt. I am so angry. Why? <laughs> because I want to be there because oh, you okay. painted a field of dreams. I, right? yeah, that's great. And like what, and, and here is the part that I love as a introverted extrovert therapist. I don't, however you want to call it. I'm either extremely extroverted for being an introvert or an extremely introverted extrovert, however you want to mm -hmm. label it. I don't have to call them. I can just fax them over the referral and then they'll call the doctor to get the order and then contact the insurance to get the approval. And then they'll call me just to say that it's been confirmed. I love it. Like it is. Okay, so you're going to tell me when y'all are hiring, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. me. It's not my, it's just one of the, this mobile unit up in this That's area. Awesome. And That's I, so cool. I like, if y'all don't have to call, like if some, some people listening may not understand this, like in home care world and a lot of like the private practice world and the, in the in inpatient world, we have to get orders from the doctor to see our patients and every 60 days i have to call these doctors to get orders and every phone call works like this hi i'm matt from the so-and-so home health care company seeing dr so-and-so's patient birth date xxxxxxxxx and i need a verbal order for speech therapy to continue okay why are you calling us because because i need the verbal order well yeah they need it like okay, okay so that's a verbal order right <laughs> can i have your name so i can put it in my chart yep Okay, thanks. I hate it. So when this yeah, company is I, like, just fax it, we'll call it. I had to do that too. Yeah, that's, that's so, so nice. So I'm just bragging, just humble bragging over here. I'm happy. I'm happy for your patients <laughs> that they have access to something like that. And then you can actually implement a meaningful treatment plan as opposed to like. Right. I had, a, I had a patient cry because I helped them answer a question that has been bugging them for 15 years because of this. Wow. And then they followed my bowling team at state championship and they were disappointed we didn't win. And I was like, I can't help it. I didn't bowl. So to my patient, shout out, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> on the flip side of the break, we're checking in with the informed SLP. We've also got the ASHA spotlight and then we are wrapping the show up. We want to hear from you though. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. This is a review of the article, Evidence-Based Recommendations for the Oral Health of Patients with Parkinson's Disease, published in Neurology and Therapy, and this is an open access article. You're seeing a patient with Parkinson's disease who's complaining of difficulty swallowing. Your exam reveals that his overall oral health is in need of some attention. We know that the state of our mouths has a lot to do with how we chew and swallow. Maybe this is contributing to his difficulty swallowing. Martin Bianco et al. performed a systematic review regarding oral care in patients with Parkinson's and came up with a thorough list of evidence-based oral hygiene recommendations for dentists and physicians. But we can also pass along this helpful information to our own patients. After all, maintaining a clean, pain-free mouth with strong teeth will mitigate lots of other factors that contribute to oral pharyngeal dysphagia. General dental care. Advocate for regular dental visits. Educate and instruct on regular quality teeth brushing, preferably with demonstrations using both arms, and provide oral care instructions that are individualized to each patient. Next. Salivation. Patients with excessive dry mouth may benefit from artificial saliva products. An intervention like Botox may be appropriate for patients with excessive drooling. 
and advocate for referrals to manage common salivation issues in this population. And next is tooth decay or loss. Parkinson's disease is associated with receding and bleeding gums, plaque, and mobile teeth. Improved hygiene can lead to less tooth loss. Because of the high frequency of untreated cavities, patients with Parkinson's may need support in getting implants or dentures. And be sure to educate on proper denture cleaning too. And last, temporomandibular disorder or TMD. Be on the lookout for TMD in patients with Parkinson's, which contributes to pain, orofacial dysfunction, and the overall burden of the disease. With proper identification, TMD is treatable. Discuss the right referral for treatment with the physician. Educating and advocating for oral care is a big part of our job already, so we're well positioned to be using these recommendations as teaching points for our patients with Parkinson's. If they don't have an established dentist, we may very well be the only providers taking a thorough look in their mouth. Your contribution to their overall oral health could have you both smiling a little brighter. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Speech Science, episode number 143. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Ruchi Capilla. Hi. And Michelle Wintering. Hi again, Matt. See, we just say hi a lot on the show, Ruchi. That's all we do. <laughs> she, and she looks up going, <laughs> do I say something? Do I have to respond at this point? I was like, yes, I said hello again. I mean, I was like, I've been, we've been talking. Um. <laughs> so, okay. So right before we came back on air, I said I was trying to remember how to count backwards. I have picked up the app Duolingo. Have you guys messed with this? Oh yeah. Oh I yeah. Like that one. I am trying to relearn the German that I spent nine years, eight years learning in high school and college. And I have forgotten almost everything. I might as well have just picked another language to relearn at this point in my life. You can do it, Matt. I believe in you. Are you guys learning any new things? Not um, speech related. Not speech related. <laughs> Wow. Personal I'm learning. I'm learning about buying a house right now, Matt. Oh gosh, don't do that. It's terrible. It's the worst time to do it. Sell your house. Live like a caravan. And I then have when to the mountain mount- house to sell it. This is my first. <laughs> and then time when the market crashes, you'll be fine. And also buy Bitcoin because my Bitcoin has lost fifty percent in the last six weeks that I bought it, and now it's only worth forty bucks. I'm just wow, so sad. Wow. So, anyways, there you go. I'm learning about I'm learning about real estate. Ruchi, are you learning any personal enrichment stuff? Real estate, second I'm lear- languages. I'm learning how to socialize again. That's really what I'm doing. <laughs> it's taking up a lot of my cognitive reserves. Isn't so, it? so thank you for letting me practice here. Hey, no problem. You're more than welcome to join our teletherapy weekly sessions here on Speech Science. We'll do it yeah. for each other, <laughs> ease oh. each other back into this. But we've nice. been seeing each other's faces the whole pandemic. So that's true. <laughs> we haven't stopped seeing each other. Oh, all right. Every week at this time, we do not every week, every episode at this time, we do an ASHA spotlight where we look at something ASHA is doing either positive or negative and uh, did you guys remember to vote on the slate of candidates that you have no choice on making? I didn't. I, I didn't this time. Yeah. Did you vote this year, Ruchi? I, I feel like I was probably tricked into it and yeah. regretted it ever since. <laughs> yeah. Like once I saw that there were no like decision making, it was like the candidates were the slate of candidates. I decided I'm not voting. Right. Like yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. waste of time. But on a positive, that's the negative. On the positive, the point of the spotlight this week, uh, the Medicare, this is actually coming out of the ASHA leader. Uh, there is a Medicare audiology bill uh, that is a joint uh, joint bill between ASHA, AAA, and ADA. So I just figured that was a nice little spotlight moment because we never really get to hear Uh, our friends over at the American Academy of Audiology, and of course, the Academy of Doctors of Audiology agreeing too wholeheartedly with what we're doing over here in ASHA. But 
this uh, Medicare audiology bill, they are in lockstep. So I figured that's a nice little moment to shine a positive light on something ASHA is doing. There you go. So. Uh, You know what? I really don't care whoever can get me and my daughter funded for cochlear implants and hearing hearing aids for the next 18 years. You will be my whoever I pay my yearly dues to. I don't care at this point. And beyond. She's going to need one past 18. A positive. Well, yeah, but then she'll be on her own and I will, will not be on my insurance and she can take care of herself. I know, but she's, we still need insurances to cover those things. Oh, yeah, good point. But it won't be my insurance. Yes. <laughs> Not under my roof. Positive. Um, <laughs> unaided. I don't know if I told you guys on air. Her speech or her unaided on her good ear is just below the speech banana now. Ooh, nice. that's improvement. Uh, yeah. Uh, they told us it wasn't improvement. It was just more likely and more accurate reading than what we got when she was born. Okay, mm. improvement so. in the reading. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. So, improvement no, no, no. in the participation. Um, yeah. On the that, bad ear, she good. on the bad ear, she still cannot hear a jet take off at three feet. So there's that. Okay. So yeah. Positive. So as we wrap up this week's show, I pose this question to you all. With a couple weeks left until summer break. What is your plan for this week? And then what are you looking forward to for summer? What is something that you want to do this summer? To give you all a moment to think, I will give you mine. This week, we wrap up with our schools. And so I'm excited because that means picnic time for seventh graders, eighth graders, all of my self-contained classrooms. Mr. Hot is going to be at a lot of picnics in the next six days. And then for the summertime, the thing that I am looking forward to the most non-therapy related, I would say just the ability to have my family over once in a while mm-hmm. and just like not have to do the awkward, have them stand at the edge of the driveway behind a chalk line. And like we drop off our gifts like it's some weird hostage negotiation of like we put it in the middle and then we back up slowly and then they come and get it. Like that's kind of what I'm excited for. What about y'all? Well, mine was similar to yours was seeing family. Oh, um, cause it's just been, it's been too long. Well, if you come um, to Ohio, you can see them all the time and well, we would hang out. Just saying, with- <laughs> Bruchy, you can come to Ohio too. We can hang out yeah, when you're going yeah. to Texas. So I, I know Matt and I had plans to meet up and then, uh, when I was only two hours from him in Kentucky. And then she drove but, away. And then we moved to Kansas. <laughs> so we're we're a military family, so we have moved a lot during the podcast. That makes sense. She uses it as an excuse to, to abandon our friendship. Yes. Yeah, so just, just in this podcast, we have been in Colorado, Texas, Kentucky, Kansas, and now back to Texas. <laughs> so, wow. No, that's yeah. a, that is a lot of moving. That's a lot of moving. Yep. yep. So we are moving again. Uh, so I guess I'm looking forward to not moving again in another year because we will be in texas for a few years that's awesome i'm so glad to hear that michelle um for me this week it's just um wrapping up some things in the bay area seeing some friends and family before i i head off i'm uh like i said earlier in the podcast Mm -hmm. i'm visiting my partner blake hi blake um in texas um what's up blake Thank you, Matt. I hope Um, Blake can listen in. (laughs) Blake is a big podcast um, aficionado and geek, so I'll make sure that he listens to this episode. But um, I'm flying in next week to Texas. um, Booked a one-way, so we're just going to see how things go. Maybe kind of adventurous and, you know, try to work out, uh, you know, because I do most of my stuff online, work from Texas during the summer. See how things go. Yeah. That's awesome. That's such a fun idea. And before you go, Ruchi... Let's plug all your cool stuff that you do. Oh man, okay. So first, together. let's plug the Hindsight Project. What is the it? Hindsight Project, okay, the Hindsight Project podcast is one that I co-created and co-host with Asher Marin. We interview black, BIPOC, trans, um, and gender non-conforming activists and artists. We start in the Bay Area, but we interview people across the country, probably across the world eventually, if, if we get that far. Um, I just started my private practice for gender affirming voice services for singing and speech. It's called Capilla Voice and Speech. It's gonna be hard to remember the web address, but it's at capillavoiceandspeech.clientsecure.me. Again, it's capillavoiceandspeech.clientsecure.me. But if you forget, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Capilla Voice, K-A-P-I-L-A. 
Um, and I'm also, please follow at Festival Opera. That's a, an opera company in Walnut Creek where I am their director of social media and marketing. Um, I also have a podcast for them, which is actually we have on YouTube primarily right now called Behind the Mask, where we talk to artists about their really raw blood, sweat, and tears experiences in terms of opera and classical singing, classical music. So check us out at at, uh, at Festival Opera on Instagram and Facebook or festivalopera.org. You are like becoming my favorite new person by the yeah. way i didn't know you did all of that that's so cool i just well, added um capilla speech to <laughs> the yeah. speech science instagram so if you need to find her you can find her oh, in, perfect. from our account as well yeah capilla voice and speech yay and yeah there, there are more there are more things on the list matt but like you know you only have so much time right hey i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna give a shout out to your show and i was trying to figure out which episode it was which one uh which episode were you talking to the person that did theater stuff was that Leo? Hmm. I think it was Leo. Leo, yeah. who actually, Leo is a wonderful person. They that actually was one of my favorite year, episodes. Like, it was so heard. good. It was so good. Uh, that was, it was so um, alive. And so I, I love just having conversations with people, which is why when you invited me today, I wasn't going to say no. You're like, just, I'll jump on and no idea what's going on. I'll yeah, do it right away. Absolutely. Well, awesome. We'll have a link to all your stuff down below. So that means I will ask you in chat to send all the links. Thanks, Matt. I need to put that all over there. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share a like license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock copyright of John Deku. Find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. The informed SLP was At The Count by Broke For Free, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution. And our closing music playing right now it's a slow burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong, but in a storm, the oak will bend and crack. The willow will bend and return to form. For the missing willow, Mike McLeod and fellow will fellow willow, say that three times fast, Ruchi Capilla, Michelle uh, Wintering, and myself, Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at Speech Science PC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.